This is the moment, the hinge of history. Every day before Good Friday led up to this moment, and every day since has been about continuing the work Jesus accomplished on this day. Ever since Adam and Eve decided to define good and evil for themselves in the Garden of Eden, they have experienced separation. Separation from God and a division between heaven and earth. And ever since that moment, God has known the plan that humans would never be able to bridge the gap caused by sin on their own. We'd all just keep failing and falling and stumbling and messing things up. There has always been a plan in place for God to step out of heaven, live the perfect sinless life, and then ultimately lay down his life once and for all in the greatest act of love and humility the world has ever seen. And so let's begin. Welcome to season six of Stories in Scripture podcast dedicated to telling the big story of the Bible one piece at a time. In this season, we are walking through Mark's gospel. Our hope is that these short episodes will lead you into more, into a time of reading, reflection, prayer, whatever it is for you. The goal is that you let the amazing story about the Savior of the world transform the way you live out your life today. Mary Magdalene couldn't believe her eyes. After all these years, all the amazing ministry moments, the healings, the demons being cast out, she had been there for so much of it, wanting to be right in the middle of the movement, and now she wanted to be anywhere but here. She could hardly bear to watch, and yet she would. She refused to let these attempts at humiliation keep her from supporting her rabbi. She would stand her ground until the bitter end she had promised herself, a promise she intended to keep. Jesus was now attempting to carry his cross up the hill. He could barely keep his footing after the intense beating. Blood gushed out of every pore, and yet his eyes remained ahead toward the top of the hill, Golgotha, the place of the skull where he would hang. This was just another one of their games, forcing him to carry the very tool that would kill him. But Jesus wouldn't break. His body would break long before his will. A Roman soldier grabbed a man who was passing by from the country and forced him to help carry the cross. Eyes full of confusion and yet compassion, the man bent down and picked up the majority of the weight allowing Jesus to get back up and find enough footing to keep climbing. Up and up they went until they reached the top. Mary watched in horror as they laid Jesus on the cross and drove nails through each of his hands and the hands of the two criminals on his left and right. The soldiers seemed to be enjoying themselves, drunk on power and the pain they were causing. They grabbed his clothes and cast lots to decide who got what, and then raised up the cross with a sign Mary noticed that mockingly read the king of the Jews. The crowd was just as ruthless as the soldiers, each one taking their turn to hurl insults at him. Mary recognized many of them from their initial entrance into Jerusalem. 
The ones shouting save us just a few short days ago were now shouting something so much different. So, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Come down from the cross and save yourself. The chief priests and the teachers looked proud of themselves and yet solemn, like they were feeling the heaviness of what was going on as Jesus suffered. He saved others, he, they said to each other, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. At noon, Mary felt darkness settle in over the land. What looked like storm clouds came out of nowhere. A giant darkness came over the entire land for the next several hours. Jesus took as deep a breath as he could manage and then cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last, and the ground began to shake so violently that down the hill, in the innermost part of the temple, the curtain of the temple tore in two from top to bottom. The centurion who was overseeing the entire crucifixion stood in front of Jesus, and as he watched him exhale, turned and exclaimed, Surely this man was the Son of God. Mary heard him say it and nodded. She was surrounded by several of her peers. Other women who had joined Jesus during his travels were there. They were silent, holding each other, crying, and yet watching and observing each and every move with fierce concentration. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea boldly stepped into Pilate's office. Let me take the body, was all he said. Surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead, he summoned the centurion to give the body to Joseph. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in linen, and as Mary Magdalene watched the entire scene, he placed Jesus in the tomb and rolled a massive stone against the entrance. If you asked a random person on the street what symbol comes to mind when they think about Christianity, what would they say? Yeah, they'd say a cross. Which is wild if you think about it, because the cross was a Roman torture device. There were lots of ways to kill people, even back then. Ways that were much quicker, cheaper, and more efficient. And so, whenever they used a cross, they weren't just trying to kill, they were trying to humiliate. They were trying to send a message. And what's crazy is that this symbol now represents God's love for the world. How did that happen? Well, I think the centurion answers that question for us. A centurion was a Roman soldier who was in charge of a hundred other soldiers. So this guy wasn't just any Roman soldier. He was one who had climbed the ranks through hard work and loyalty to Rome. And yet, he is the one to finally answer our question. Who is this man? Remember, Mark tells us in the opening line in Mark 1.1, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. But since that moment, no one could seem to figure it out until this high-ranking Roman soldier watches an innocent man lay down his life. The soldier had no doubt been around all week, hearing Jesus' teachings in the temple court, watching him display a whole new way to live where instead of seeking greatness, you surrender. And then, as he watches Jesus take his final breath, the truth hits him like a tidal wave. This wasn't just any man. Jesus is 
the Son of God. Brilliant writing on Mark's behalf. By the way, the more I read through Mark's gospel, the more I see so many moments that are setups for this payoff, helping all of us see that we too can figure it out, can come to understand who Jesus really is, no matter how far away from God we may be. But I'd imagine you're also a little curious about that line Jesus dropped on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you've ever been confused by that line, you're not alone. It feels a bit out of place, but let me give you two thoughts. First, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God took him who knew no sin to become sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. Jesus is taking the weight of all our sins on his shoulders. He has become sin, momentarily distanced from God. But second, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is actually the first line of Psalm 22. And in those days when someone recited the first line of a psalm, everyone knew what they were saying. They were giving a social cue to everyone else to recite the rest of the psalm. Well, what do you find in Psalm 22? Good question. Let me give you a few. Psalm 22, 7 and 8. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads, saying, Is this the one who relies on God? Then let the Lord save him. Psalm 22, 14 and 15. My life is poured out of me like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Psalm 22:16 states, My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Psalm 22:18 says, They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. In other words, even as Jesus was helpless, hanging on a cross in complete humility, he was showing that he was still in absolute control. He was still calling the shots. He was still the guy. He said that as if to say, oh yeah, everyone is mocking me. I knew that was going to happen. Oh, they divided up my clothes. I knew that was going to happen. They offered me sour wine. Yeah, I knew that was going to happen. My bones are out of joint. I knew that was going to happen. They pierced my hands and feet. I knew that was going to happen. Jesus laid down his life and yet was in complete control as he did. If this whole story still feels super strange to you as you listen, let me read some Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah that may help. Zechariah 13:7. In the scripture Jesus quoted, God will strike the shepherd and his sheep will scatter. Isaiah 53:7. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Psalm 109:4. I love them, but they try to destroy me with accusations even as I am praying for them. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our, our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Did you catch that? Don't worry about memorizing them all, but here's the major point. All of Scripture has been pointing to this moment. In order for Mark's first verse of the book to be 
accurate. In order for it to be true that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, he had to allow himself to go to the cross. So if you're sitting there listening to this episode and confused, shouting at Jesus to stand up for himself and fight back, I get it. I feel the same way. And yet Jesus was doing something else, something bigger, something better. He was laying down his life so that we can go free. Think about every epic movie and story that you like to watch. There's a good chance in that movie the hero is faced with a decision and ultimately lays down his or her life or at least risks their life for the good of everyone else. Why do we love that type of sacrifice so much? I'd argue it's because we are created in the image of a God who is the ultimate picture of that sacrificial love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories in Scripture. We hope season six is bringing Mark's gospel to life for you, and that this episode helped you see the bigger picture Mark is painting for us. If you are enjoying this podcast, we'd love for you to share it with your friends, and rating and review it goes a long way as well. We love getting to tell these stories and appreciate you coming along for the ride. So we'll see you next time for our next story.